Alrighty then, welcome back to the Celtics Lab Podcast, the show where we take the deepest dives in all things Boston Celtics. I'm your host, Cameron Tepitabai, joined as I always am by Alex Goldberg and Dr. Justin Quinn. You know, they say that those who can't do teach, and those who can't teach, teach gym. And even though this podcast is hosted by three teachers, we thought that before we gave out any grades for this Celtics offseason, we'd bring in some help. So let's give a warm Celtics Lab Podcast. Welcome to Mr. Michael Pina. Mike, how are you? I'm doing great, guys. Thanks so much for having me. This is a this is a true pleasure and an honor. Yeah, you have a bunch of curmudgeonly teachers who are starting school, so <laughs> you have to be the most informative and the brightest person in the room right now. Uh, Alex and Justin, how are you? Uh, Michael's reaction uh, was far better, or far more enthusiastic, I should say, than some of my students at eight in the morning. So <laughs> I'm I'm falling asleep, and you can talk all you want, but I'm about to go to bed. So if any of you fine people are listening, uh, my students, that's a joke. I don't mean that. You're all wonderful. <laughs> well, for those who are not aware, I am in Mexico City, and I've been dealing with rampant construction all around my apartment for, well, since forever, basically. And I thought that I was going to get a new twist in terms of people chopping down a tree with chainsaws in my front yard, but luckily they went away about an hour ago. So I'm pretty happy. Cool. You have the most exciting block in all of Mexico City, as far as I can tell, because it's always something. Um, I'm doing great. Thanks for asking. Anyways, Mike, Mike comes from us from Sports Illustrated and is the co-host of the Open Floor Podcast. So if for some reason we're not filling your podcast needs, you can go check that out. And in the lab portion of the programming on the Celtics Lab podcast, Mike is going to help us break down the offseason and give out some grades. But first, as we were wont to do, we're going to tackle a bit of this week's news. And actually, that's not even true because, Mike, selfishly, I'm going to ask you about something that happened a year ago. Uh, Right around this time last year, something like that, maybe two years ago at this point, you helped break a story, write a story. I mean, I guess you know better than I, obviously. Um, the famous Jalen Brown GQ shoot that uh, the story itself was fantastic, but I think the photos are probably what people are thinking of most. <laughs> so first of all, how did that project come together? And second, we won't spend too much time on it, but do you have a funny um, anecdote or like a surprise from that that maybe never got uncovered when it was really breaking news? Yeah, sure. So I, first of all, the photos are way cooler and better and <laughs> worth your time more than the story. But so I was uh, doing some contract work for GQ. I basically covered the bubble for them. And they asked me one day, hey, would you like to, we have this opportunity to interview Jalen Brown for a little over an hour. Do you want to do it? And I was like, yes, of course. <laughs> Loved Jalen. Um Unfortunately, I was not able to attend the photo shoot in person because of COVID restrictions, sure. which was a huge bummer. And uh, I believe the shoot was, it was not at the Celtics practice facility, but it was nearby um, on Boylston Street, I believe, for those who know Boston. Um, I'm in Brooklyn, so that was also a little bit of a hang up, but mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, we did a we did a Zoom call that was amazing. Uh, he was not wearing any of the like I had no idea that like any of it was going to look as cool as it did. Like I hadn't I, I was told that there was some I think it's Louis Vuitton that did the collab with the NBA that he was kind of mm-hmm. cross promoting or whatever. But uh, I had no idea that it would look like they would actually have the NBA logo over everything and it would look gorgeous and beautiful. And that, you know, he was a little exhausted because he did the shoot and then did the interview and it was kind of late at night. Yeah. And the pictures, I was also not anticipating him to be smiling as wide as he was (laughs) for the pictures. So uh, that was great. But no, talking to him was wonderful. Um, One of the smartest, uh, most insightful uh, professional athletes that we have in this country, I think. I don't think that's like a good, crazy thing to state, despite his age. Um, and you know, someday I know CJ McCollum was just voted in as the president of the uh, the Players Association, replacing Chris Paul. And someday, like I don't know what the inner workings were there. Um, someday, I believe I anticipate Jalen to to be the president, and he's just got a ton of great ideas. And clearly values, uh, you know, uh, the everything that happens off the court that Mm -hmm. NBA players are able to impact as much as he does what he does on the court, which is play tremendous, effective basketball. 
quick follow-up to that. So I, I, I think all of that is accurate. And, you know, I am happy to be a part of any podcast that heaps praise on Jalen Brown, because as <laughs> I mentioned many times before, he is my favorite active player by a substantial margin. So, um, but one thing I think that is often kind of overlooked a little bit, which is crazy to say because of how good he is, it, like Jalen, the activist is such a huge part of his persona and what people talk about pretty frequently kind of when they talk about him uh, in NBA media circles, which in some cases I feel like leads to his game and particular his approach to the game being overlooked a little bit. I guess I'm wondering if you had a chance to talk to Jalen about how he approaches like basketball from a skill development and a kind of team building and and just just how how does Jalen approach the game if, if you found anything interesting there I don't know yeah no so it was funny when I set out to write the story like it was for GQ so mm-hmm. They didn't really want too much of the, uh, you know, what he does, it th- like, give me the TikTok of his workouts um, at the practice facility. They weren't like that <laughs> interested in that sort of thing. Um, I was, of course. And so, I, you know, there were a bunch of interviews that I did. I did a really long one with um, with Brad Stevens, where I was, you know, asking Brad questions more about Jalen's personality. And everything always went back to, oh, he's like the hardest worker on the team, blah, blah, blah. has been since he personifies everything that you want in a player in terms of his work ethic and his um, how unhappy he is with himself and just his perfectionist nature. Um, all that stuff like didn't, I don't think that got into the final cut of the story because it was pretty focused on, as you were saying, like uh, who he is as an activist. And when we were reporting that story, I mean, it was only a few months after he drove down to Atlanta and we were talking all about that. Um, and then just everything that he's interested in, in terms of what he likes to read, how he likes to educate himself, uh, the problems that he sees in society, et cetera. So that was like the the primary um like when I was interviewing him, that's mostly what we discussed. And when I did shift it a little bit to basketball, he went like blank face and uh, <laughs> wasn't really as game to really engage, which I find that's perfectly understandable. Um, but the people around him, I, who I talked to about who he is as a player, I had this interview with Ennis Cantor, who was just like raving about his work ethic and, um, uh, I spoke to Kemba. I spoke to Isaiah Tom, both Isaiah Thomases, um, <laughs> and the younger Isaiah Thomas, who, so the the former Celtic, was. I mean, he had a bunch of funny stories about just uh, how serious Jalen was as a rookie, and when they would like try <laughs> it to get him to do stuff like Ricky Hazing type of type of shenanigans. Jalen would question everything and that would piss everybody else off. They're like, you have no right to ask us questions, but that's just who he was and who he is as a person. Very curious, very inquisitive. Um, so I guess this is a long winded way to answer your question. Like his, who he is as a basketball player. I think you are right. Um, the leap that he did make this season though, to an all-star level, I feel like, you know, averaging nearly 25 a game, the mid range shot was like lights out for when he was healthy. And part of the reason why I am so, uh, and we'll get to this later, uh, high on Boston um, this season and was so high on their off season is this guy isn't even close to scratching the surface of what he's capable of, frankly. And uh, maybe I just have that perceptive perception by all the people that I talked to for that story. But I think all the data suggests that he's just, he gets better and better and better every single season. So he's a wonderful, um, fascinating character in the NBA right now. Love that. Alex, I'm happy you asked that follow-up question. I love a little Jalen praise. Uh, Cool. Mike, thanks. That was fantastic. That was way more than I was expecting. Uh, now we got to talk about boring stuff for just a second. Anyways, we are officially in the doldrum of the NBA offseason, so there's not that much news to report on, but Rajan Rondo was indeed bought up at the Grizzlies. He heads to the Lakers, uh, which might be a problem for Isaiah Thomas as he tries to get back into the league. Laurie Markkinen, I can't believe it, is not a Boston Celtic. Who saw that coming? He is... Uh... Oh my God, where is he going? Cleveland. Cleveland. He's going to Cleveland. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, Big and, contract too. He got like seventy-six million dollars from them, or something. 
Yeah, and uh, just out to round out some reporting. Uh, well, actually, we have two things from Mr. Charania that we are going to talk about. But the first is that Paul Millsap does not have his name tied to the Celtics right now. So I suspect he will join a team sooner rather than later. But I don't think it's be Boston. Uh, but a lot speaking- of buzz, a lot of buzz around the Brooklyn Nets and Paul Millsap. I'm keeping my eye on that one. Shout out to the Brooklyn Buzz podcast. Uh, back, back in Boston, the Celtics are according to friend of the podcast, Brian Robb of Mass Live, pursuing tweaks at the back end of the roster. What do we think those might be? Let's spend a little bit of time there. Mike, I'll go to you first. So right now the Celtics have 16 players under contract. What do you think that kind of end of the roster bookkeeping looks like? I mean, you mentioned Millsap, and I've wanted Paul Millsap to go to the Celtics for like 17 years. Like yep. I, I, yep. I, so it's a little dis. I mean, I understand the Ennis Cantor signing, and I understand that Paul Millsap may not be interested in a Vetman deal, uh, and I understand that those are two different players. Uh, but like, I don't know. I thought that the <laughs> the need to like Paul Millsap is still able to provide some stretch offensively. He's a ball mover. He can, you know, post up smaller players still in limited minutes. And he's not like his hands are still really fast on defense. And so and I, I mean, he's just like this great veteran presence. So like I, you know, I, I, I thought that that would have been a much better um, productive signing than Cantor, who I understand the value that Cantor brings as well and was a part of Boston's roster when they went to the conference fi- <clears throat> conference finals a couple of years ago. Uh Beyond that, like, I, I mean, of I, I don't really know any specific names right now that I'm th- like, I would hope that whoever they bring in is established, is, uh, mm-hmm. you know, happy not to play a lot, because uh, I feel like the whoever would come in now as a veteran would be someone to assuage a locker room, a, a yeah. still a relatively young one. Uh, so that's like, uh, you know, bring Gerald Green back. I don't, I, I don't know <laughs> who, who else, uh, and specifically, um, I think this team needs right now who is available. I think that if we do see any changes in the roster, besides just cutting a player that the Celtics would probably prefer to trade a two for one yeah. and get somebody who fits maybe, maybe as a power forwardy kind of, you know, on the high end of the forward spectrum, uh, to kind of give them a little bit more depth besides Jabari Parker. But ultimately, I think it may just end up coming to uh, somebody getting Carson Edwards and a bunch of money to cover his salary. That's probably my my, my uh, anticipation for how they're going to settle the 16-man problem. Yeah, we've said that for like five weeks now, but Carson Edwards remains on the Celtics. Celtic. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that's probably pretty close, Justin. I think there is definitely a possibility that Chris Dunn is only here for a cup of coffee and is flipped in a deal for a forward X to be named later, uh, as you said earlier. Another name that I think you got to keep an eye on if we're talking about just cutting bait with somebody back end of the roster. Jabari Parker's salary for next season is non-guaranteed. So in theory, they could just let him walk and face basically no consequences from a cap perspective. Obviously, that would be uh, yet another forward out the door for a team that is a little bit thin, particularly at the four spot. So if they're just cutting Jabari, that I think would indicate to me that they're looking to make a midseason acquisition. Uh, But I I think that's a possibility as well. I I tend to agree though, Justin, I think the more likely outcome is probably Carson Edwards and a fake second round pick or some such thing to just kind of clear the decks. I mean, uh, I think they should take a flyer on Jabari because uh, I'm hopeful for him, but they could always trade him to the Lakers because it seems like the Lakers just want big name players who maybe don't actually have gas in their tank. But that's a different podcast. One last thing, and then we're going to actually go into the Celtics lab, is we would be remiss if we didn't ask Mike a little bit about the Ben Simmons chatter, just because the Athletic did drop a little bit of buzz, or kind of lack thereof today, and Mike kind of sees the NBA for its entirety, where we just focus on the Celtics. So, Mike, what do you think of the Ben Simmons situation? And then if you had to guess, where is he playing in October and where is he playing in April? Uh, great questions. I mean, uh, it's a little 
surprising, frankly, that he has not been dealt already when teams have a yeah. bunch of cap space and assets to move. And uh, it's just easier to have those types of monstrous transactions go down. But it seems like the Philadelphia 76ers are particularly stubborn here and uh, are not willing to move Ben Simmons unless they are able to get a better player back which uh (laughs) substantially better player back and it looks like damian lillard and you know the lowry marketing transaction three-team trade that you referenced earlier bringing larry nance jr there uh it seems like they are perfectly fine um in adding salary uh and adding a player like larry nance jr that they're not thinking about moving Damian Lillard anytime soon. Uh, Brad Beal seems okay in Washington for right now. So I don't, I mean, the, one of the teams that they were linked to was the Minnesota Timberwolves. And I love that fit for Ben Simmons. I love that fit for Minnesota. I don't know exactly who would go to the Philadelphia 76ers, but you know, you would imagine it's D'Angelo Russell. It's uh, Malik Beasley. It's maybe Mm Jaden McDaniels and a bunch of picks and, I mean, to me, that seems very fair, like a fair in a vacuum transaction. Uh, But, you know, if you're Philly and you want to win the championship and you have Joel Embiid, whose career could end any second and trying to maximize that window, like I I understand why maybe you don't do that. But I don't know. It's very tricky. It's a very tricky situation. And to like answer your, your question. Yeah. I mean, I would think that he's going to be on the Sixers uh, in training camp based on how everything has gone so far and their unwillingness to, uh, to take the offers, Philly's unwillingness to take the offers that have been presented, uh, and just hold out and hope that, you know, the Blazers flame out in the first, the Blazers have a really tough schedule through the first, like, I don't know, two, three weeks of the season, I believe. So you just hope that they really struggle and Dame tweets something, uh, <laughs> scandalous and you can kind of go from there but that that's my guess or that's i don't know if that's like the smartest way to run a team but that's it seems to be like what they're hoping for yeah i would uh so it's a couple of things that are coming to mind in this discussion but first is that daryl morey has an established pattern of asking for the moon when it comes to <laughs> trades uh and <laughs> particular star player trades So while it is definitely the case that now probably would have been the easiest time to deal Ben Simmons in the offseason, I don't find it particularly surprising that a lot of the teams that uh, the Sixers dangle Ben Simmons in front of uh, maybe didn't want Maury's uh, expected offer, didn't want to go through with Maury's expected offer. Uh, Michael, I do think that there's something going on with the Minnesota Timberwolves. I don't necessarily have too much to back that up other than uh, reporting from the athletic among (laughs) other things. But I do think that there is something there. I think at a minimum, the Timberwolves are interested in making something happen. Whether Maury will accept a package built around D'Angelo Russell and a bunch of picks as the primary motivators, I'm a little more skeptical of. But I think it's close enough that you can probably get a third team involved in a meaningful sense and maybe get something there. So if I had to bet one destination that isn't Philly uh, for Ben Simmons, I would probably lean Minnesota right now. They need a third team to make it work, I think. But, you know, if the James Harden trade taught us anything, it's that there is always another team who can get involved in these kind of discussions. Yeah, I mean, that's enough on Ben Simmons, but I will say that I think both Cleveland and Orlando ought to just push their chips in because what else are they doing? Uh, But this is neither the Cavs Lab podcast or the Magic Lab podcast. So let's hop into the Celtics Lab and do what we promised to do. So, Mike, you recently wrote about your grade for this Celtics offseason and you gave the season A minus. And I encourage anyone who's interested to go and find that over at SI. And you aren't alone in grading the Celtics, but other people had a different view. In fact, some high-profile writers who we will not name gave the Celtics the 26th best offseason, which maybe everyone got A's, but it doesn't sound like that's an A-. minus. So what we thought we would do, Mike, is we would break down the offseason into little buckets and grade those and see if the... Um, the sum is worth more than its parts, or if on all cylinders, the Celtics were looking good. So 
you're going to get first bite of the apple, but Justin and Alex and I will jump in as needed and take 10 seconds, take two minutes. I mean, again, you have, <laughs> you've written about this before, so you feel free to self-plagiarize. So let's see if we can get back to an A minus. We will talk about first the trades that happened. And just as if anyone needs a reminder, Kemba Walker went to Oklahoma city briefly for the number 16 and the number 16 pick went to OKC and then Al Horford and Moses Brown, Moses Brown, we hardly knew ye over to Boston. So now we have on the Celtics, Al Horford, uh, Moses Brown, and then uh, went over to Dallas for Josh Richardson. Yes. Thank you. He's been, I mean, poor Josh Richardson. I hope he finds a home in Boston. Uh, so Josh Richardson and a TPE to Boston for Moses Brown. And then the Tristan Thompson trade for Chris Dunn, Bruno Fernando, and uh, that was a three-way trade. So just on the trade front, and I left some important detail out, but Mike, how do you grade the trade performance as a whole? I mean, uh, I was fine with all of these. I guess I'll start with my favorite, which was acquiring Josh Richardson into uh, their, the leftover section of the trade yes. exception. Thank you for that cleaning that up for me. me. <laughs> um like i'm a believer that so much of what happened last season is uh it's foolish to put too much stock into it and that carries or is most relevant with players who tested positive for covid who spoke publicly about how difficult uh, uh, that disease was for them to work through in the middle of a season and, you know, deconditioning and the effects of having it on the body and the mind and all that. And he's one of the players who uh, really struggled through it, wasn't really in Dallas's rotation by the end of the season. They had high hopes for him, obviously. They traded Seth Curry, who had a tr- tremendous postseason yeah. run for Philadelphia. Um and they thought that, you know, he would be a secondary ball handler for them who could run some pick and roll, take some offensive pressure off of Luca, hit spot up threes. He really wasn't able to do too much of that, um, let alone be on the floor to provide some of the defense that we saw from him in Philadelphia. And then before that in Miami, uh, where he had the best season of his career. So I think just like betting on Josh Richardson to, um, look more like the guy who we last saw in Miami is pretty smart, um, particularly when the opportunity cost is uh, re-signing Evan Fournier, who Josh Richardson basically replaced Evan Fournier um, in the rotation, I would think. And re-signing Evan Fournier to the deal that uh, he signed with the New York Knicks, um, which would also erase the giant trade exception you got with that sign and trade, so I just thought that was really smart, um, really smart work by the front office, by Mike Zarin, by um, Brad Stevens and everyone in charge. Uh, that was really smart. Um, you know, getting off Kemba and quote unquote only giving up the 16th pick to do so, uh, I thought was a win, particularly when you get back. And Al Horford, who, you know, when he did play, in Oklahoma city last year before they kind of shelved him, you know, he wasn't like getting to the free throw line and he wasn't like a total beast on the glass or in the paint or anything like that, but Mm -hmm. he was playing some solid basketball for, um, for where he is in his career and trying to, um, I guess rehabilitate his reputation after the disastrous season that was in Philadelphia. So I like that too. And that's, you know, along the lines of bringing in, um, and as Cantor, like the corporate knowledge of having people who have been in the organization before and who are familiar and know their way around and who've played with Jalen, who've played with Tatum, who's played with Marcus Smart in big playoff games. I just think there's a lot of value there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, getting rid of Tristan Thompson, point blank period, just stroke a genius. I don't really care what comes back in that one. Um, but I do love Chris <laughs> Dunn and... Uh, Chris Dunn before he got hurt I felt like was and a ton of advanced statistics back this up just like one of the better defenders at his position just an absolute hawk so if he sticks around which you know there's a lot of bubbling around that he won't if he does I just I love uh, having him 
um, as an insurance in case, you know, Marcus Smart goes down for two weeks or something like that. Having Chris Dunn step in, I feel yeah. like is a luxury. Uh, so I liked all the trades from that, from those perspectives. All right, cool. So, uh, Justin, and Alex, summatively, what mark are you giving, giving the trades? Um, for the trades, let's see. So just kind of reviewing all of these, obviously my favorite of this, these trades, uh, regardless of whether it's actually a good move or not, uh, trading for Al Horford. I just love Al Horford so much. Mm-hmm. I have such fond memories of that guy on the Celtics, and I'm really psyched for him to be back on this team. So I love that trade. Uh, I think that, you know, Kemba Walker, as much as I enjoyed uh, the Kemba Walker experience when it was at its best, the reality is that this team really couldn't go into next year with Kemba Walker on the books if they wanted to pursue the free agent targets that they appear to be looking to pursue, or at least the trade targets that they appear to be looking to pursue. They can't really get them in free agency anymore. And from a locker room perspective, I just, I think it was probably time to give Marcus the reins as the lead dog. Um, Mm -hmm. So I like that trade a lot. I feel fine about the Josh Richardson trade. I think I'm maybe a little bit less optimistic about the Josh Richardson career resurgence. I, I didn't particularly love his shooting splits in Philly, um, but I think he's a perfectly fine player. And uh, if he comes back and is as good as he has been in, say, Miami, great, if not tradable contract. So I feel okay about that one. I'm with you on Tristan Thompson for Chris Dunn and Bruno Fernando. I think that's, I don't see how you can portray that as anything other than a win, especially after looking at Fernando's summer league performance. It seems like that guy is going to crack the back end of the Mm -hmm. rotation. So I'm pretty excited to have him on the team. So all that in summation, I think I'm probably at around an A minus B plus for the Celtics trades this year. I think that Horford is a clear win. I think the Tristan Thompson trade is a clear win. I feel okay about the Richardson trade, uh, but it doesn't really move the needle for me that much. Yeah. I'm still a little salty about not getting DeLon right in that Tristan Thompson trade. So I gave that one my own little tallying a B minus, but overall a B plus for all three of the trades. I find it kind of interesting how at the time we were all like, oh gosh, that contract for Al Horford is way too big. And now we're like, yes, it's so great. The yeah. last year, <laughs> only 14.5 million. So, yeah. Yeah. It's one of those things. Sometimes when you're a teacher, a student turns in something that is boring, but it's good. Like you can't, you can't knock it. Like you go through your rubric and it technically checks all the boxes, but it, it, it wasn't that interesting. So that's kind of how I feel about the trades is that, uh, they were smart and slick and they achieved a lot of things that I wasn't sure that they would be able to achieve the Celtics front office, but it's a little boring. All right, let's grade the draft. And it was kind of a boring one. There really was only one, one and a half things that happened. So first the Celtics drafted out of France, Johan Begarin. I hope I pronounced that correctly. I am so sure I didn't. And they signed Hauser, who's an undrafted player to a two-way deal. So Mike, what do you think of uh, this draft for the Celtics? Uh, awesome draft <laughs> for the Celtics. Uh, no, I, I like. I, I don't really know um, draft stuff for any team. I I don't. I, I don't want to say I like intentionally go out of my way to not watch college basketball and not really care too much about summer league either. But uh, I spend my time, you know. Uh, in other fields and other areas. So like, you know, when they step on the floor, if they step on the floor in the NBA, that's wonderful. I can't wait to watch them, but I did not really even factor the draft too much into my, uh, into my, uh, my grade beyond the fact that uh, the player who was drafted 16th overall with uh, the Celtics pick uh, is just this absolute monster. Who's going to just break all of Hakeem Olajuwon's records for the Houston Rockets. And so that, that makes me a little, a little down about it, but uh, yeah, in all seriousness, like I don't, I really don't. It's like a, I I have nothing else to say about it really. Yeah. Ditto. Justin, you got something to say? A little bit. And you know, my incredibly deep 10 minutes of research that I did per player in the draft, uh, I would say that I didn't think that they were going to draft Sam Hauser, but he was one of the guys I liked. 
I mean, they didn't draft him. Excuse me. Let me say that again. They signed him undrafted and the Begarin guy or however you say his name again, apologies. I'll get it right. As soon as it becomes something I can't avoid. Um, I'm working on it. I'm doing my best. Um, from what I hear from people who are way smarter about the draft than I am, uh, he's got the right frame and the right, you know, basic skills to become something that is much better than what we are seeing now. And I am trusting in their assessment. So at least for me, I thought it was a pretty solid draft considering what they did have to work with by the time the draft rolled around, which was not much. Alex, any quick thoughts? Um, it's almost impossible for me to give an accurate draft grade for this because I literally had no idea who Begarin was when they took him. I had never heard of him. Um, in the context of uh, you know a little bit of hindsight of Summer League, I think he looks fine uh, as a draft and stash guy. I think it's going to take him probably a couple of years before he's really ready to come over and take a true crack at the NBA. So um, I, I think for the draft, it's kind of a cop-out, but I think I might have to go with an incomplete as far as trades, trade grades go, because I just, I don't know uh, what we're going to see from Big Arian yet. I mean, I like Sam Hauser and like that they acquired him, but I really, I, he, at least for this year, strikes me as a back of the back end of rotation guy. So I'm going with an incomplete for the draft. It's a cop out, but it is what it is. Yeah. Can I, I have... can I jump in really quick? Yeah, of course. So I literally just looked up Sam Hauser's shooting splits for the first time in my life, and <laughs> I did not know that he was uh, that good of a shooter. Uh, so I'm I'm changing my grade to an A plus. Wait, tell us the splits. Like, I have no idea. So his freshman year, he shot 45.3% from three. Sophomore year at Marquette, shot 48.7% on 195 attempts. What the hell? Uh, Junior year, shot 40.2% on 219 attempts. And then he redshirted, went to Virginia, and shot 42% on 151 attempts last season. So if there's one thing this team needs, it's a stretch four, and I guess... I don't, I don't think he's going to be the stretch four who magically saves the day this season, but that's something that is obviously very valuable. And if it works out, it works out. Yeah. If he needs food recommendations in Portland, I just was up there. I have some ideas, but uh, I don't know. I was just looking at Josh Richardson splits and talking myself into like, yeah, 38% from three. That's pretty good. So, Hey, if that kid can shoot. Uh, cool. All right. Let's slap a grade on some of the cap management moves because the big story for the offseason might just be that the Celtics help clean up their books. So in summary, Evan Fournier now plays in New York and the Celtics don't have to pay his pretty hefty contract. The Celtics created a $17.1 million TPE in, in doing so they, they work with the Knicks on that. They give away two second round picks, I believe. Ojale is gone. Waters is gone. Probably Taco Fall is on his way out, so the Celtics will not be paying their contracts. And they guaranteed $100,000 of Jabari Parker's contract by not waiving him last week. So the big thing really is the Evan Turner, Evan Fournier, not Evan Turner, Evan Fournier TPE, getting Schroeder on the cheap, uh, getting Josh Richardson in a previous TPE, and creating some smaller ones along the way. I mean, Mike, you can talk about those if you think those are interesting. But yeah, looking at the salary stuff, Mike, what kind of grade or assessment do you give? Yeah, I mean, with these particular moves that you mentioned, uh, I know that a lot of people like to poke fun at the creation of large trade exceptions, but they're incredibly useful if you have a really high salary as a team. So I don't personally uh, fall into that category of 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 making jokes about trade except like I think they're really they're helpful and in particular like I don't foresee the Celtics necessarily using this trade exception maybe they do during this season maybe they exceed all expectations on the court and it just it it makes so much sense to continue to get better in some form or fashion with a consolation consolidation trade yeah I said that word correctly but I I, I think it's really valuable to have in the offseason um, next year and uh, there's a lot more flexibility with things you can do if you have it so I do like that and in conjunction with letting Evan Fournier walk I think one of the things that uh 
um, poorly run organizations do is they double down on their mistakes. Mm-hmm. And I'm not necessarily calling the decision to trade for Evan Fournier at last year's trade deadline a mistake. I see the logic there. And they did not know that Jalen Brown would miss the rest of the season and not be available in the playoffs. And there right. was some reason to believe that the, the ship could turn around based on the pedigree of everybody involved. And if they could just get healthy, it would, it would turn around for them. So I understood the thinking in trying to get more shooting and Evan Fournier was lights out last year as a shooter. Uh, but you don't want to resign him. Uh, like I think a port, poorly run team would have resigned Evan Fournier to uh, the deal that either he got from the Knicks or even one, although, you know, the team option in the last year, last year, the deal is fine, but um, either, uh, uh, you know, signing him to that type of contract or, or one um, even more damaging to your cap sheet is just not what you want because I don't know what, the exact trade value of Evan Fournier is at that money. I, I wouldn't say that it's particularly great. And he's also someone who throughout his career has just not really been a plus player in postseason basketball. And if you have uh, someone as talented as Jason Tatum, someone as talented as Jalen Brown, and your sights are on someday winning the championship, then having Evan Fournier on the roster playing big minutes kind of, jibes against that in my opinion and we saw i know the brooklyn nets are a particularly uh threatening offense in the way that they can you know force mismatches and break you down in isolation but they were an absolute nightmare for evan fournier and i don't know how he could be on the court uh in a potential series against that team in the foreseeable future so uh letting him go and again kind of in conjunction with the Josh Richardson trade, replacing him with someone who is a plus defender who will not be attacked in that way, who is a worse shooter um, for sure. But you have faith can bounce back to being a 38, 39% spot up three point shooter with wide open attempts who can also mm-hmm. handle the ball, run, pick and roll. I, I, I like all those moves and when they tie them together, they make sense to me. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I, we talked about that as such, several times i think the theme of this summer has been we're shocked at how well all the chips are landing for the celtics but justin just in terms of the cap stuff where do you come down on that i'm very happy with it it's one of the strongest sections i think of the off season i i understand people who are looking at the the fournier situation and the, the tp generated as an incomplete because it is But at the other end of the spectrum, I'm also pretty happy that we have not, you know, kind of crashed and burned into a disaster that I I really was afraid was like the cumulative effect of Danny Ainge trying to kind of ride two timelines for way too long, forcing him to continually try to keep people in the fold that then, you know, walk and leave the team in a worse and worse situation in terms of talent. And these TPEs are kind of like the parachute and the fact that he, he managed to take that parachute and deploy it one more time to hopefully a Davis Bertans sized uh, trade exception or thereof sort mm-hmm. of player. Um, I do think that you can be critical and say, well, I need to see what will happen. But looking at this as a Brad Stevens joint and that he is the guy in charge doing what he can with what the previous regime did. I, I don't see how you could grade this lower than say it's a very worst to B plus. And because I'm a fan of, of how this is shaping up, I give it a name. All right. I love that. What about you, Alex? I think it's a solid day for me as well. I think that, you know, I like Devin Fournier and I thought that his presence on the team was a much needed breath of fresh air after what was an objectively miserable season for a lot of last year. But um, Evan Fournier at the number that the Knicks gave him is just way too high of a price that the Celtics uh, were not able to pay. Uh, And I think that it was a wise decision to let him walk in that respect. Um, I think that Semi Ojolet, uh, was a source of deep and profound psychological pain for me last year, as much of a nice guy as he is. And I, I, I really do wish him well on the Bucks. I hope he succeeds and finds a place in the NBA. But I have Vietnam-style flashbacks to watching semi usually take corner threes <laughs> and just slam them off the front of the rim. Uh, Tremont Waters, 
again, nice guy, fun spark plug, but um, I, I just a little bit too limited in his skill set and size to really be an impact guy on the roster. And Taco Fall, you know, I actually think that it's for the best uh, that Taco time is over in Boston because I kind of think that the relationship that Celtics fans had with Taco Fall towards the end was getting a little weird. Uh, and I would like him to yeah. be appreciated more as a player somewhere else for the stuff that he does bring. And I, I actually do think Taco Fall in the right role could be a kind of fun, like end of the bench guy to come in and do some stuff. But I think that the relationship that Celtics fans had with Taco was uncomfortable. So I'm fine with letting him go somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, it's unfortunately pretty true. Uh, and also what is true is uh, Mike, what you said is there are a lot of bad teams in the NBA who signed really bad contracts. So apropos of nothing else, and this is, uh, I, I guess a segue, I think the Celtics books are really clean right now. And there are a lot of teams that first of all, couldn't pull off what the Celtics front office has been pulling off over the past few weeks, but also, uh, a lot of teams in really tough situations. So I think what's so great, I like the Richardson flyer. I like the Schroeder flyer. I like letting Fournier walk, but I also like that it's really setting up. Let's see what the Jays are actually about, what they can do without COVID, without broken wrists. And if it's something we like a lot, we have all of the puzzle pieces ready to maneuver that. And to that end, some of those puzzle pieces include a Marcus Smart extension, a Robert Williams extension, and a mini Josh Richardson extension. So, uh, Mike, on that front, what do you, what kind of grade are you giving on just the extensions? Yeah, I mean, I'm I like all these players, uh, and the money seems pretty fair to me. I mean, I'll start with Robert. I mean, I'll start just speaking broadly. That I think the fundamental reason why you give these extensions is you look at the market for yeah. this upcoming offseason, and you know there aren't a ton of teams that necessarily have. Uh, cap space, but that can always be created. And uh, if a Marcus Smart has a really good year, if Robert Williams has a really good year, I know he would be um, restricted, but if Josh Richardson has an an exceptional year, uh, those guys would be in demand and you would essentially lose them for nothing in your pursuit of uh, Brad Beal in all likelihood in free agency and you'd gut your roster. And if Brad Beal uh, you know, if you were to sign an extension with the the Wizards or just, you know, decide he doesn't want to play in Boston, then you would be in a lot of trouble. So yeah, I like the the thought process there as a team that clearly likes these guys that really value Marcus Smart. I he's one of my favorite players on the team, he's one of my favorite Celtics of all time. And I think he's someone who uh, you know, did not have the best shooting season last year, but I personally think that um, has kind of rebounded in as someone who maybe he takes too many, uh, you know, difficult ones off balance pull-ups when, you know, you're earlier in the shot clock, then it would, they, a shot like that would, they would grant. But uh, I think he's a pretty solid shooter. He's someone around the league, you know, CJ McCollum just did this interview where he praised that contract and mm-hmm. uh, spoke of how uh, Marcus Smart is a shooter now in this in this league, um, so I like that deal, and I think he's uh, he's very hard to put a price on because of all the things he does that are um, imperceptible and uh, really difficult to just kind of peg down monetarily, but. He's he's awesome. I really love him. Um, I I was actually a little surprised by the Robert Williams one when new, that news broke, and yeah. then you see how much the money is for. And you know, if this dude is healthy, uh, I believe only. And this is a really random stat that I could get wrong, but I think I came across it at some point when I was just kind of really bored one day a few weeks ago. But in the first three seasons of his career, all uh, among players who've played at least 100 games, I believe Robert Williams's win shares per 48 minutes are only bested by Wilt Chamberlain and like three other guys in the NBA history. Yeah. Okay. So clearly <laughs> on his way to the Hall of Fame. And I don't know, you look at the contract he got versus someone like, the contract someone like Jared Allen got and you're like, okay, um, this is, this is a pretty potentially um, we're going to get value on this contract. 
so I, I like the extensions. I think all of them are also, uh, you know, tradable. I think that that is the yeah. sexy word that a lot of Celtics fans um, are, are using right now in pursuit of that third star. And it's really ironic that the Celtics are a team that for years uh, did not have contracts like this to make trades that you could, you know, package uh, two or three middle-sized contracts and a bunch of picks. And maybe you have one or two young talents also on rookie scale deals. You could throw in and present that to a team for a star caliber player. I think the Celtics can do that now, particularly if Robert Williams shows out because he's, uh, his ceiling is just ridiculous. So yeah, I love all the extensions <laughs> long way, long, short way of saying it. Uh, yeah, I'm right there with you. So I think I'm, I'm going to, for purposes of category, because we didn't really talk about them enough, I'm going to lump together the extensions with also the Celtics free agent signings, which we should sure. spend some time talking about as well. But um, the extension for Marcus Smart, starting off with that, I think is, again, really good value. And I think it has to be said that, you know, Marcus Smart has not been playing his natural position that he was drafted out of college with the expectation of play. Marcus Smart was drafted because at Oklahoma State, he played point guard. Now he is finally getting the chance to be the starting point guard for a team. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's actually a really good thing for his development, both as a player and uh, for the development of this team generally. Marcus had some excellent playmaking on display last year when he was healthy. He missed a hefty chunk of the season with a strained calf. And when he came back, he definitely didn't have the same burst. But at the beginning of the year, he was assuming a pretty heavy playmaking load. And in particular, his chemistry with Jalen Brown, I think, really shined. So I'm really excited for Marcus Smart as the starting point guard of this team going forward. And I think anytime you can get an above average starting point guard at the number that the Celtics got Marcus Smart at, you have to consider that a win. On the Robert Williams extension, I mean, that is a steal of a contract if Rob plays more than, I think, 65 games this year. Uh, you have to remember with Rob, the big issue was his hip that has been kind of troublesome throughout his career. Last year, though, he missed games in the playoffs because of turf toe. Turf toe is an incredibly painful injury, but it's also yep. one that can be relatively easily healed by just resting. So if Rob is coming into this year healthy and with the addition of Al Horford to take some pressure off of him, I think that there's a real chance that we could see him play a substantially improved number of games this year. And if that's the case, that is just one of the best contracts that uh, currently exists for big men in the league today, I think. Um, the Josh Richardson extension, solid. You know, I think it gives the Celtics a couple of options there with regard to that because Josh Richardson, uh, if you add that extra year on, he's got a little bit more value as a trade piece, as an expiring contract. And if he plays well and you want to keep Josh Richardson and make him part of your team going forward, then you've got him for an extra year on a relatively decent mm -hmm. deal. So I like, I like all of the extensions. I think some together... I would give all of them an A, and I think that it's probably the best, maybe the second best part of the Celtics offseason. We'll get to that later. Um, <laughs> the, and then with the other uh, free agent signings, I mean, Dennis Schroeder for well below market value, it sucks for Dennis Schroeder, and I feel bad for him. But from a contract perspective, that's a bargain six man that you just got yep. with the mini mid-level exception. That's a great deal. Schroeder nearly won six man of the year in Oklahoma City. Um, and his canter, again, veteran minimum, perfectly fine as a locker room guy. You might be able to throw him at Embiid for 12 minutes or something just to kind of mess him up. And, you know, Cantor is much beloved and liked by guys like Marcus Smart, guys like Jalen Brown. So I think that's a perfectly solid deal as long as you aren't expecting him to play upwards of 20 minutes a game. If you are, then maybe we have some other things to talk about. But yeah, no, I think that from the Celtics free agent and re-signing perspective, I think they hit it out of the park. And I think it was a really strong offseason all around. I think I'll add to that is the Rob Williams contract might look like an insane bargain when the new TV money comes into the league. Yep. It's if he even even if he isn't, you know, any healthier than he has been, it would still probably look like a good value by that point. And 
I understand why some people are, you know, not so ready to to uh, give Brad praise just because he happened to be the last chair uh, when the music stopped uh, for for Dennis Schroeder. But I do think that he is in a good position, and from from the sounds of it, uh, knows what his situation is going to be with the team. The team knows what the situation is going to be with him. So I think that at the very worst case, you might be able to recruit some, some draft assets from him and maybe even in his canter, if there proves not to be enough big man time to keep him happy, uh, which is, you know, something that a team could use when they're trying to land a third star. I, there couldn't possibly be something for me to add <laughs> at this point, but we have one last category to, to grade, although we haven't been very consistent with our grades. We give a lot of feedback. That's kind of, and Vogue right now in grading anyways. So the last kind of section of the Celtics offseason that we want to talk about is kind of a meta one. It's the front office itself. So the, the major moves are abundantly obvious to anyone who's been following the Celtics. Danny Ainge is out. Brad Stevens is in as president of basketball operations. And there's kind of like this shadow realm of general management right now. Brad Stevens obviously will not be coaching and Ime Udoka is in and then people like Will Hardy and Damon Stoudemire are joining Udoka's bench. So Mike, either sitting here today in at the end of August or considering what you were thinking about this team once they were bounced from the playoffs back in, was it May? That feels like a lifetime ago. What do you think of this new regime change? What do you think of this new Celtics front office? It's, I mean, it's seismic. It still feels a little weird. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I guess I'll start with, I mean, all this stuff is like really hard to, to, to grade and judge for like, obviously at this point. Um, yeah. But I'll start with Udoka, who we, what, what we do know about him is very impressive. Uh, spent years as uh, Greg Pop. First of all, he's a former player when he went into coaching spent years as Greg Popovich's right-hand man on San Antonio sideline um, went to Philadelphia was next to Brett Brown went to uh, Brooklyn was next to Steve Nash has a relationship with so many stars throughout the league because of team USA and his involvement there. And I'm a big believer that right now in the NBA, you know, your ability to drop schemes and uh, um, develop a, a sound basketball philosophy and drop plays after timeouts, like all that's wonderful. And it's, it's, it's necessary, mm-hmm. but like the relationships that you have with players who are on your team and also around the league, um, particularly when you're trying to win a title, uh, Ime Udoka sitting in um pitch meetings for free agents or guys who want to play in Boston. I think that that has tremendous value and uh, I love that aspect of it. Absolutely. Um, So if I know I was kind of bummed when Stevens, I think Stevens is tremendous head coach and had a tremendous run with the Celtics. Uh, so I was bummed when he, the news hit that he was going to not only, I guess that he would step aside, but also like go to the front office. It was kind of very confusing. And the (laughs) move from there is like, okay, at the time it was okay. Who's going to be the head coach. But so there was some uncertainty in the air, but when you hire someone like Ime Udoka, who's been around, who frankly should have been a head coach already, yeah, uh, it's terrific. And like I said, he already has relationships. He had relationships with um, with Marcus Smart, with Tatum, with Jalen um, and just guys around the league who are really good, who respect him. And uh, he can talk tough with them and they're not going to pout, which is also very important in today's league with the young stars. So I love that hire a lot. Can't say enough nice things about it. Uh, Danny Ainge, talking about relationships, no one had more relationships around the NBA than he did in terms of people who are presidents of uh, their respective organizations. So I think that, you know, his ability to start conversations with people Mm -hmm. is that'll be felt maybe, but at the same time, someone like Mike Zarin 
knows everybody and has been around the block as well. So I just, my question is more like, um, and same with Austin Ainge, but my question is just like, what, what is Brad bringing to the table? Like, I, it sounds like harsh to say that. I just don't know what specifically his role is in that front office, if that makes any sense. So, yeah. uh, you know, I say that after praising this off season that they had, so I don't think it's a bad thing. It's just, it's a question that I have. I just don't understand or know exactly in, in totality what he's doing in the front office. I have a thought on that, but before I get into that, I do want to just quickly address the Udoka hire, which I loved and was <laughs> actively pushing for from the time that he became available as a head coach. I thought he was by far the best head coach candidate on the market including Rick Carlisle. Yes, I had to say it. Um, and I, I really, really like that hire for all of the reasons that you just laid out, his relationships with the players, the fact that uh, he you know, has experience in a variety of incredibly successful basketball environments and was a big part of that. Uh, the fact that he's married to Neil Long doesn't hurt. Um, and he's also the most <laughs> handsome head coach in the NBA as of right now. So that's that's a big thing for me as well. Um, but moving on to other front office changes, you know, it's interesting because I do think that Danny Ainge had, was kind of legendary for his relationships with other front office executives and pretty clearly had that aspect of the job going for him. I will say that I don't necessarily know if Danny Ainge had great relationships with the players, particularly on the Celtics uh, going in over these past three years. I don't think that they were bad. I haven't seen any reporting to suggest they were outright bad, but I don't think that they were necessarily great either. And I think the reality is, is that in the NBA, it is a players league now. Players above all else get to decide where they play. If they want to go to LA, if they want to go to New York, what have you, they will find a way to get there. The Brooklyn Nets free agent orgy of last year proved exactly <laughs> that. Um, so I think that that is something that needs to be considered when we're talking about front office hires. And to that effect, I think when you talk about what does Brad Stevens bring to the table as a front office guy, and particularly what does he bring that maybe Danny Ainge didn't quite have a sense of towards the end of his tenure, is that Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart, those are all Brad Stevens guys. They came up with Brad Stevens. He has very close relationships with all of those guys. Tatum recently gave a press conference where he was asked about all of the front office upheaval. And he said, I, I'm paraphrasing here, but he said that he is pumped that Brad is still in the organization and that he trusts whatever that decision, whatever decisions that guy's making. When you think about where the Celtics are headed in a few years, regardless of what happens, the number one priority for the Boston Celtics is keep Jason Tatum happy at all costs, no matter what. If you have a player like that, who is going to be as good as that guy can be and as, as young as he is, you need to keep him on the team. And as such, I think the Brad Stevens hire more than anything in the front office is about managing the relationship with the stars, Tatum and Brown, and making sure that they always feel wanted in Boston. So in that respect, I think that's a good call. I will add that I've heard some rumbles that Danny Ainge didn't have bad relationships with the players, but did have a bit of a disconnect. Mm -hmm. And what you, what you say about Brad is definitely true. I also think that, you know, as a college background person, you're, you're kind of in the same role uh, when you are a GM of a team, a team president, you, you have more control over who ends up on your team, what players you want how many minutes they're going to play is something that, you know, kind of falls more into the, the coaching realm, but there's a lot of skills. I think that Brad Stevens has that he can bring to the table. The one qualm I have with all of the upheaval in the front office though, is that they did not do a, a search. Uh, and this being one of the teams that was really leading the charge for trying to make changes in race relations internally and in the broader world uh, in the bubble. So, it was, it was definitely weird. I understand how they arrived where they were 
But I yeah. mean, they really exemplified the good old boy network step up and no one else gets considered problem that part of what their commitment to racial equity uh, is supposed to be addressing. So I couldn't give them better than a B for that particular move. But other than that, I think I had an A's all around for everything else. Just one more thing to kind of jump in there with the Brad Stevens hire. I totally agree, Justin. I think they did need to do a search. And even if the search ultimately yielded the same result, which it probably was going to, I think just from common courtesy standpoint, it's worth hearing people out. But Mm -hmm. uh, the one thing that I will say about Brad Stevens and with regard to kind of why the Celtics were so keen on keeping him in the organization even after he decided to leave is because of all of this institutional clout that he built up as a head coach. But I think the thing that you kind of saw towards the end of last year is that that had its limits. Brad Stevens was the head coach of the Boston Celtics for eight years. It feels like less than that, but that's how long that he was the head coach for. And by the end, particularly with all of the stuff that was happening with COVID, I think you could kind of tell that he was visibly burned out with being a head coach. He's been a head coach for most of his adult life at this point. And I think there's a chance that um, him being asked to do something different to apply his knowledge and love for the game in a different manner as a kind of new challenge is going to be reinvigorating for somebody who has already proven that he is a really high level basketball mind. I just, I think, you know, I know that not having a search is definitely not the kind of thing that you want to be displaying as a front office going into a season where prioritizing racial equity has to be the kind of guiding lodestone of all of these front offices. But at the same time, you can't really afford to let a guy like Brad Stevens leave your organization once he's in it. Well, I'll tell you what, I give all of you a big fat A plus for your performance today on this podcast. Uh, Mike, Mike comes to us from Sports Illustrated and is the host of the illustrious Open Floor podcast. And so, Mike, we will get you out of here on this. I'm going to give you an opportunity to change your overall Celtics offseason grade. Again, you wrote A-, minus, no cognitive dissonance, you can change your mind. And then second, we were going to talk about the East in general, but we've talked long enough. So uh, very, very, very briefly, I will tell you that the early sports books have the over and under for win total for the Celtics at 46.5. Are you taking the over the under or are you pushing? So you're going to change your grade and 46.5 is the number to beat. What do you think? I am uh, not changing my grade. All right. And I think I'm going, I'm going over, even though I'm atrocious at over under betting and win totals usually mean nothing to me, but I, I do think that um, I think that if this, this is like a, not a great novel statement, but if this team has more health at important positions um, and uh, uh, I just think that the, the defense can carry them through a regular season in a way that we haven't seen in a while. And the ceiling on defense is really, really high. And that is uh, very valuable in any regular 82 game regular season to carry you through and just kind of set a baseline for what you're able to do as a team and have you be consistent. So that's part of the reason why I'm, I'm, I'm very high on this team. And uh, so, yeah, I, I think I'm going over that number and I'm, and I'm sticking with a minus for my off season grade. All right. You heard it here first. All right, Dr. Quinn, 30 seconds or less. What's your off season grade and 46.5, the 12th highest number in the NBA. What do you think of that over under? Uh, I think it's going to be over. I do think that East got a lot better, but I mm-hmm. also think that the Celtics as, as has been said, are going to be a lot better if they can stay healthy. And I think they're going to. So I'm thinking something somewhere closer to like 49-50 wins is very, very cool. attainable. And I'm going to go, I softened a little bit to a B plus. I was initially <laughs> an A minus, uh, but I think I'm going to go with a B plus just after a little bit more reflection on some of the stuff that we talked about. All right, Alex, same question. 
Uh, going with an A minus for the grade, I think that these Celtics made some really strong moves throughout this offseason. I do think it has to be said that the clock is a little bit taking on the Tatum and Brown core. And I think they are pretty clearly angling to try and get a third star before Brown and Tatum's upcoming free agency in a few years. If they don't get that third star, things are going to get a little dicey. So I can't give them the full A. But I like A minus because I think they did a good job setting themselves up for that possibility and being a good team throughout. And as such, I think we're going to have to hammer the over on that win total. I really like the Celtics this year. I think that they are going to surprise people. And I think that the teams, they're, they're not as good as Brooklyn or Milwaukee. And let's just get that out of the way now. But I think they can be right at the top of that second tier in the East. Yeah, that, that 46.5 right now is, I think, tied for fifth behind the obvious Brooklyn, Milwaukee, Philly, and then Miami, and they're tied with Atlanta. Um, but those numbers are for betting purposes, not for predictive purposes necessarily. So uh, I know it was a hot day, so Mike Pina, thanks again. You can go find Mike Pina over at Sports Illustrated or over at the Open Floor Podcast. And everyone else, thanks for listening to this podcast. We will catch you next week.